Okay, well, take your Bibles. Don't stand just yet. Go ahead and find uh, 1 Samuel in chapter 1. Our text is going to be chapter 2. But um, <clears throat> our new series, just getting started. This is just sermon number 4 here in uh, this book of 1 Samuel. And given the series uh, title, uh, this name, When a Nation Needs Revival. When a Nation Needs Revival. And that certainly has relevance to our day and time when a nation needs revival. And um, this morning we considered uh, how that Jochebed, Moses' mother, was used to help raise him for his God-given mission. And tonight we're considering Hannah. So, it, I mean, it's, it's Mother's Day. I mean, it's morning and night Mother's Day messages. I don't think I've ever done that before, but here we go. So excited about that and I uh, think it'll it'd be a help to us. And I'm hoping to get across the main, the main uh, idea, the main truth of what Hannah's praise is giving. So we'll read it here in just a moment. But let me just help us get started by doing a little bit of review right now. Uh, Israel needed a revival in the days of Samuel and, of course, Saul and David. Those would be the three key characters. Of course, God's the main, main emphasis in his word at all times. But um, they needed a revival in the days of Samuel because because their sinful choices had led them into the enemy's hand. And that's why we need revival. As a nation, I mean. As a nation, we need revival because our own sinful choices have led us into the hand of the enemy. We saw this, uh, this quotation from uh, Warren Wiersbe. He said, The life and future of a nation depends on the character of the home. What do you think about that? The life and future of a nation depends on the character of the home. And the character of the home depends on the spiritual life of the parents. Well, that's, that's huge. It's huge. So rejoicing with some new parents here this morning and, and just, uh, you know, they're at the very beginning of their uh, time as parents. And it, it is, it truly is so exciting. And, and, um, but to think about, you know, the character of the home depends on the spiritual life of the parents. There's certainly an emphasis in chapter one on Hannah's prayer. If you just glance down at your Bibles and you see in verse number 10 of chapter one, how that Hannah was in the bitterness of her soul and she prayed unto the Lord and wept sore because uh, Peninnah was, was provoking her because she had all these kids and Hannah didn't have any kids. And we saw that. And, and so in the bitterness of her soul, she prayed and and she vowed a vow in verse 11 and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man child, then will I give him unto the Lord all the days of his life and there shall no razor come upon his head. And, and so she continued praying, verse 12 says, and then also verse number 13, she spake in her heart. And so there's a, a major emphasis on prayer. Look at verse 26 of chapter 1. She says, Oh, my Lord, uh, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman. She's speaking to Eli that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord. And I love verse 27. For this child I prayed. For this child I prayed. And the Lord hath given me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore also have I lent him to the Lord. And that doesn't mean just let him borrow it borrow the child, but there's a transfer there, a transfer. In fact, you can see it in the rest of the verse. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord and he, Samuel, worship the Lord there. We, we've seen this. True power 
is to be found not in one's position in society, but in one's posture before God. Hannah didn't have a political position that could influence the moral society that she was living in, the, 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 the decay of morality that she was living in. She didn't have a political position. She, she didn't have a, a place or a position of influence in the, temp, or in the tabernacle. She didn't have a place of influence there, but here's what she did have. She had a place of prayer. And if you have a place of prayer, you don't have to have a position or a place of influence. Because when you're in your place of prayer, you're in your place of greatest influence. Okay. I just like that point. That's, that's encouraging. Well, she lived a separated life. She said, I'm not a daughter of Belial. I'm not drunk. I'm not like other women in the society living a loose and moral life. Boy, that's needed today, isn't it? Not a daughter of Belial, living a separated life. And she was determined to raise her son to serve the Lord. Trenton just shared with me my uh, youngest son. He's uh, going into the seventh grade now, but they had chapel at uh, their academy. And, and Pastor John Nelson, I haven't got to talk to him about this, but he shared this and it just fits where we are here tonight and what we're considering. But he said he gave an illustration in class and had, I believe maybe Brother Byron Derricks, I'm not sure about all the details here. I don't recall that, but, but at one, one uh, end and kind of like holding a target, and he had a balloon and he blew the balloon up. And, and then what he did is he said, okay, now I'm going to try to help this balloon hit the bullseye. All right, hit the target. Am I right about this, Trent? Am I getting it right? Okay, thanks. Good. All right. And, uh, and so he said, all right, I'm going to let it go. And he counted down maybe and he let it go. And of course the balloon just went, right? So he said, well, here, let me try it again. And he kind of angled it a little bit more. And, and sure enough, just, just letting the balloon go, it just went all over the place. But then what he did Oh, it was a brilliant illustration as he took, you know, a balloon and blew it up. And then he taped a straw to it and put that string, uh, a fishing line through that straw. And then he let the balloon go. And of course, then with guidance, it made it right to its target. Amen. Man, that'll preach. I thought that was really good. The lesson is pretty obvious is this. You can't expect a child to go in the right direction if you just let it go. No, that child, boy or girl, needs guidance. You need to be strung up. <laughs> you, you need to be tied down. You need some guidance. Am I right about that? I do. You need some guidance in life, right? Well, that's what Samuel was. And, and she didn't say, Lord, I'll raise him for you and then just let him go wherever he wanted to. No, there was, there was some intentionality there. And that's, that's certainly what, what we as parents, and let, let, let me just be transparent, be honest. I mean, look, parents, isn't it true? We can get really busy just in our own lives and then you get home and boy, you're just tired and you're ready just to unwind. And yet your, your kids really do need you, don't they? They need you. And so we need to be involved um, in our kids' lives. And so certainly she was. So they need the guidance. Don't let kids grow up without guidance. That's why it's so important, I think, to have kids in church and to have, uh, have time with your kids. Well, Hannah, Hannah had an impact on her society. We saw last time we were together, about two weeks ago, 
She had an impact on her society. I mean, in many ways, this is the turning point in Israel's history. Okay? Uh, she had an impact on her society. Here's, here's why. Because she gave back to God what he had given to her. She gave back to God what he had given to her. And he called, she called his name Samuel, meaning I asked God for this child. God has given me this child, but I'm going to do what I said I would do. And I'm going to give this child back to God. So whatever it is you have, give it back to God. That's what will have an impact on society. So whether it's your time, hey, that's a gift from God. Okay. That's a gift from God. Give your time back to God. Uh, whether it's your talent, he gave that to you. Give your talent back to God. All right. Uh, obviously our, our money, hey, listen, by the way, we only give back to him what he's given to us. So give that back to God to have an impact on society. And that's what Hannah did. She gave back to God what he had given her. Let's stand now and read our text in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse number 1. 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse number 1. And Hannah prayed. And this is a prayer of praise and thanksgiving. All right, so let's read it. And said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over, uh, over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. L listen to what she says right here, verse 2. There is none holy as the Lord. For there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. I wonder who she had in mind right there. Maybe Penina came. I, I don't know. Anyways, I'll, I'll just keep reading. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and they that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased, so that the barren hath borne seven, <laughs> and she that hath many children is wax feeble. She's exhausted. <laughs> All right, verse six. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lift, lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes, to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. He will keep the feet of his saints and the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength shall no man prevail. Everybody see that? For by strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth. He shall give strength unto his, what, who? His king. She said, he shall give strength unto his king and shall exalt and exalt the horn of his anointed. Wow, what a 
thanksgiving psalm. What a song of praise and thanksgiving here from this once barren woman. So I'm calling the message here tonight, the praise of a praying mom. The praise of a praying mom. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. There's a lot of overlap here with what we read even this morning in Psalm 113. If you were in the morning service, it's pretty, pretty awesome. I've had this quote in my notes for two or three weeks and I continue to fail to use it, but it's a good one. The Lord uses socially powerless individuals who who possess profound faith in him to overturn and transform the social order. (laughs) The Lord, it goes on, demonstrates his absolute power over all human institutions by changing the course of Israel's history through one of Israel's weakest and least significant individuals, a rural, barren woman named Hannah. How about that? Isn't that awesome? You might say with some, what's the big deal? Okay, so Hannah's got a son. That's great. Good for her. You know, and the woman who had so many kids, is made to eat crow. Great. (laughs) Right? As one man put it, I liked how he said that. And now Elkanah's home and Ramah, Tham, Zophim, wherever that is. What's the big deal? No, wait a minute. This is no piddly affair. This is not a small deal here. This, he went on to say this, this is a manifestation of the way the Lord rules and will work in his kingdom and is a sample of what God does in his work. So if that's what God does, if this is a a little picture of how our great God is able to work, then really we ought to pay attention to it. And I believe it'll be a help and an encouragement to us here tonight. There's two groups that are really mentioned in this psalm. I I would like for us to to get into it and, and look at these two groups and and, and just take in that she's obviously giving praise to God. And we'll just kind of work, work through this, but there's, there's a part of it that I, I really think that we're supposed to get. And it's rather simple, the main idea as to, as to what we're supposed to get from this. So let's just get into it and look at, at the verses once again. And let me just point out a few things here as we do. Now, keep in mind that Hannah has just dropped off her three-year-old boy. How would you go home? I mean, I think she liked the little guy. I think she was pretty, uh, you know, attached to him, no doubt. And, and, uh, and she's, she's going home, but I notice this. She's not pouting. She's not sulking. She's not moping. What is she doing? She's rejoicing. She's rejoicing because God answered her prayer and God's doing what he, she asked him to do. And so she's rejoicing, it says. In, it says here that she's rejoicing in the Lord. And notice what it says, verse 1. My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. My heart rejoiceth. And, and this verb here, my heart rejoices, uh, it, it's an emotional response. And she's glad, basically, I'm, I'm so glad about what God did. Now, I'm sure there's moments and times when she really missed him. I'm sure she had some tears, no doubt, on the way home. But overall, she's just saying, I'm so thankful for what God 
has done. And, and God, by the way, God ought to be our object of delight. She was not rejoicing in Samuel. She was not rejoicing in herself. She was not rejoicing in uh, Peninnah's, uh, you know, that it, God proved her wrong. <laughs> I'm sure that probably crossed her mind, but mainly she was rejoicing in the Lord. She said, my horn is exalted. And, and so that's figurative language, obviously, but, but the, an animal's horn is used of his strength. You know, that's why uh, a lot of people have deer mounts at their home and uh, have some bones on the wall. That horn, where, whether it's an elk or a whitetail uh, buck, you know, then it, it's those horns. It's a symbol of strength. And so what she's saying is, is that God has given us victory. God has made us victorious. My mouth is enlarged. If you get defeated, you don't have much to say, but she says, my mouth is wide open. I've got a lot of things to praise God about. Okay. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. And then she just says this, there's none like the Lord. Let's keep, let's keep that in mind here tonight. There's none like him. Don't, don't be intimidated by the world's religions that say there's a plethora of gods and goddesses. No, wait a minute, there's only one God and there's none like him. And, and, and so there's none holy as the Lord for there's none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. And I think about Deuteronomy chapter 32 and, and maybe she has that in mind as well as they talk about the rock of Israel and, and how that God is our rock. And it's, it would be a, a, a cliff where you can run to when you, when you have need, when you're weak and you're frail and you need, you need a place to go. Then, then she's basically saying this, he's our refuge. He's our refuge. I was weak. I, I, I really want to try to get that across here tonight that she's saying in all of this, I was weak. I was frail. I, I was barren. And, and, and so uh, she's recognizing there's nothing that I could do. There's nothing that we could do. God had to come through right here. And so her weakness is, is underscored here. There's none like the Lord. There's none beside thee. He's, he's our rock. He's the rock that I went to when I was in need, when I was overwhelmed, I was able to go to him as my rock. And then she says this in verse number three, talk no more so exceedingly uh, proudly. Let no, not arrogance come out of your mouth. And here's why. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. In other words, he knows what you say. Don't think he misses anything. And so she's saying the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. This morning, Brother Ted taught our Sunday school class, the Southwest Bible class on Belshazzar and, and how that as they're having this big old drunken party with a thousand delegates that are there and the Medo-Persian Empire or army is surrounding uh, them, then, then uh, it really ought to be a time that they ought to be concerned, but he's drinking it up. In fact, he, he's even trying to prove his... Uh, his pride over these, this foreign power that's outside his door. And so he has them bring in the, the, uh, the elements there, the cups and the bowls from Jerusalem, from this other foreign power that could not withstand him. It's almost like he's making mockery. I know there's another foreign power out there, but I'm not concerned about it. And he wasn't concerned until this hand started writing on the wall. And that would have a way of kind of getting your attention there a little bit. And the blood left his face and became rather pale. And the Bible says that his knees started, I'm not going to demonstrate that, but his knees started smiting one another. I mean, he lost control, friend. You know why? Because he found out I'm not as much in charge as I thought I was. And the, and the writing on the wall that, that is there is many, many tekel you farsen, which means this, that, that you are weighed in the balance and found wanting. And your, your days are numbered. Because I'm telling you, friend, he weighs you out. 
And that's what Hannah's saying. He weighs you out. He evaluates you. And his judgment is clear and it's true. And you, it does not matter how strong you think you are. It does not matter how, here's the two groups. You've got the strong and the weak that are mentioned in this passage. And so it does not matter how strong or in control that you think you are. He has a way of bringing you down. Case in point, Nebuchadnezzar. Case in point, Belshazzar. And on and on it could go with all that have lifted themselves up. So there are the strong that are mentioned in her psalm. And then there are the weak individuals that are mentioned here. All right. So she says, he weighs your actions out. He's a God of knowledge. He knows your words. He knows all things. Then notice this verse number four, the bows of mighty men. Okay. Do you see it? Strong and weak here again, strong and weak. Everybody following along? The strong and the weak, the bows of mighty men are broken. They're literally shattered. So here are these, this, this mighty army that comes and God's able just to overthrow them. The, the bows of the mighty are broken and they that stumbled are girded with strength. So there's, there's the weak, those that stumbled. Thank God he's able to pick them up and help them go forward. Okay. He's helped them to move forward. Notice verse number five. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread. In other words, they had more to eat than what they knew to do with. And yet, now they're trying to get a job to find food, right? So again, the strong are brought to a place of humility, but the humble are lifted up, right? So he says, they that were full have hired out themselves for bread and they that were hungry ceased. In other words, they, they, they were no longer hungry. They were now full. Right? So the full are now hungry and the hungry are now full so that the barren hath borne seven. Seven would be a number of completion, a perfect number. So she's saying this is not that she's had seven children. She's going to have six total. Samuel was not her last one. Uh, she'll have uh, three boys and three and and uh, three girls. I think it is. Anyways, it's in the text. We'll come to it later on. I may be off on that. But nonetheless, she says the the uh, barren hath borne seven and she that has many children, she's wore out. She's waxed feeble. Do you see it again? There, there's the contrast. I'm not trying to be redundant. I'm trying to help us see the, the point of the passage and her, the point of her praise. And, and, and she's saying those, those that are weak, God helps. Those that are strong, he brings down. Okay, let's keep going. Then what you have in verse six and following is 18 verbs. All right. And it's moving quick. And, it, and it's a contrast that is used throughout there. So as you see, the Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave. And on the other hand, he brings up. He's able to help. The Lord maketh poor. But on the other hand, the Lord maketh rich. Everybody following this so far? He can make poor. He can make rich. He can take a life. He can make a life again. Um, verse number seven, the latter part of it. She says, he bringeth low and he lift, lifteth up. Verse eight, he raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth the beggar from the dunghill to set them among the princes to make them inherit the throne of glory. Hey, that's what our God can do. 
here's these individuals that were poor and he raises them up out of the dust. Just listen to the audio version of a book called uh, Running for My Life. Brother Chad Hainline uh, let me know about this. This young man that escaped, he was six years old. He was in church with his family uh, in Sudan at the time and, and, and taken captive basically to be forced to become part of their military along with many other young boys. And, and they were in this compound and he and three other friends escaped and literally ran for their lives through several nights. Ended up in the, in the uh, refugee camp and uh, where Brother Hainline and, and Miss Sarah were able to go. And uh, there he lived from age six till about age 18, I believe it was, somewhere right in there, or maybe it was 16, 16, I believe it was, 16. He heard about the Olympics and he didn't know what the Olympics were. Somebody that lived outside of the refugee camp uh, charged the boys five, whatever it was, we would say maybe five dollars, come over and watch the Olympics. He didn't want to do it, but he'd heard so much about it that he paid his five dollars to watch the Olympics. He got in there and he saw this box. He thought, is that the Olympics? Why do I want to watch this box? And then it was kind of, uh, you know, staticky, and, but they finally got it to come in. And then he said this, I saw a black man like me having the flag of the United States. And it was Michael Johnson and he was running for a gold medal. And he said, I didn't understand all that, but all of this young man's life, he'd been running everywhere he went. He ran all the time. He ran. And, and so finally that day he thought someday, Lopez Lapong said, someday I'm going to run like that in the Olympics. He wrote an essay and his essay was chosen. He was actually able to come to the United States of America. A family, a Christian family adopted him into their, into their home. The first several nights as he was in their home, he slept with the lights on because he'd never seen electricity before and he didn't know how to turn the lights off. <laughs> he thought, huh, people in America are kind of weird. <laughs> Sleeping with the lights like this is bright. He, uh, the family picked him up and they went to this restaurant. He thought it was a really fancy restaurant called McDonald's. <laughs> and they bought him a chicken sandwich and he was ready to divide that between the three of them. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. This is all yours. And he couldn't believe it because all his life he'd been sharing food with others. He asked his new dad, he said, dad, I'd like to go on a run. Is there some place I can run? Well, how far would you like to run? And he told it in kilometers and, and his dad looked it up and that was 19 miles. And he went on a run and immediately the dad called a track coach there at the high school. And uh, the track coach came there and he'd already been running, you know, 17 miles. The track coach came with him on the, on the last one and the track coach started running alongside of him. And, and, and uh, Lopez thought that the track coach was thinking he was running too slow, and so he just sped up and just sped on by him and <laughs> left the guy huffing and puffing. Well, long story short, he made the track team, obviously. And um, in fact, the coach said, now, you, uh, you run this race, and, and he was so glad because he got a jersey with his name on the back. It's a big deal. And they were supposed to follow this, uh, the golf cart around the track, well, he thought the object of the race was to outrun the golf cart, which he successfully did twice. 
the golf cart cut across the field and started running again, and he got out in front of him again. Well, the young man went on to run in, in college. He ran in Flagstaff, Arizona, at Arizona State University, but then he went on in the 2008 Olympics and ran in the Olympics. And I, I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story, but I'm telling you, here's, here's, what I'm, here's my point. God took a little boy, six years old, that was in the dust, that was in the, dung, the dunghill, so to speak. I mean, among the waste, literally among the waste. I'm telling you, it's a heartbreaking story. It humbled me. It made me realize, dear God, we are so blessed in this country. <laughs> Took that boy and brought him here and, and allowed him the opportunity not only to run in the race, but actually he got to carry the flag into in China. I think it was the time when they ran it, 2008, if I'm right about the year. 2008 was in China and he carried the, the flag in, in on the Olympics and, and George W. Bush told him, don't let the flag touch the ground. It's awesome, isn't it? That's what our God's able to do. He could take the poor up out of the dunghill and, and, and put him on the block. <laughs> he works in weakness is what I'm trying to say. Our, our God works in weakness. In fact, your weakness, your weakness, whatever your weakness is, um, Hannah's weakness was her barrenness. What's your weakness? You got a weakness. I've got a weakness. We, we have many weaknesses. I, I want you to think about this with me here tonight because she goes on and, and she's, let me just finish this out and we'll, we'll get to that main point that it, that it is through your weakness that you get to know his strength. And, and it was through her difficulty there that, that she came to know his strength. And, and she even said, the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. And he set the world upon them. And he'll, he'll keep the feet. He goes everywhere. Everywhere the, the righteous go, God's right there with them. And he keeps the feet of, of his saints. And the wicked shall be silent in darkness. And for by strength shall no man prevail. Do you see what she's saying right there? Those that lift themselves up, that think they can handle life, he has a way of humbling them. But those that know their weakness and know there's nothing they can do about about it, but that begin to rely on his strength. Those are the ones that experience his great power and great glory. And God can do something in their life. Amen. And she praises God for that. No man will prevail by his strength. The adversaries of the Lord, she says this, they'll be broken to pieces. That means just smash the smithereens. How's that? that? Does that make sense to you? They'll be, they'll be broken to pieces out of the heaven. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to thunder on them. Hey, I'm telling you, friend, you don't want God to thunder on you. But here she says, he thunders on his enemies and he's able to do that. And the Lord shall judge the ends of the earth and he shall give strength. Oh, look at this. He shall give strength unto his king. Here's what she believed. Wait a minute, we, we got to keep the context of this in mind. This was a day of moral chaos. This was a day when, there, when every man did that which was right in his own eyes. This was a day when there was no king in Israel. And here's a woman that is speaking by faith to say, I believe he's going to give us a king. She knew from the book of Deuteronomy that it was God's will for them to have a king. Maybe she'd heard that God had told to, to Abraham that it's out of your loins, kings shall come. And to Jacob, kings shall come. And they got off track, don't you know, when it came to Gideon. And they said, oh, we want to make you a king. Oh, no, I don't want to be a king, but I'll call my son Abimelech, which means my father is a king. And kind of acted like he was a king. Are you following what I'm saying? But God humbled him. And, and, but when it's the right time, God was going to bring a king. This was a woman of faith that against all odds and in the moral decline of their nation and the political craziness that they were going through, she still believed that God was on his throne and that in their weakness, God would do something great. 
And it was her son, Samuel, that would anoint the first anointed king of Israel. That would be Saul. And that's another story. But then he would also anoint a ruddy little boy named David that was out there keeping the sheep that was overlooked because he seems too weak. But it's in our weakness that God shows himself strong. And it was that little young man that's out there on the field and the, and, the, and the Goliath, the giant of a man, is standing and taunting him. And with him was strength. With David seems to be weakness. But wait a minute. Our weakness is the point at which God wants to show himself strong. You think about it, it runs all throughout the Bible. Everywhere you look in the Word of God, it's always our weakness and His strength. Your weakness and His strength. Adam was, was it was not good for man to be alone. What did God do? God showed him himself strong and gave him a woman. Because we needed some help. Abraham and Sarah didn't have a child. That was their weakness, but God showed themselves strong. 25 years later, they had a baby. Jacob thought he was strong, but God had to humble him. And the rest of his life, he walked with a limp because he had to learn, it's not by my power, my might, my, by my strength, but it's by God's strength and God's power and God's ability. And Israel in captivity had to realize it wasn't their strength, but it was God's strength that was going to bring them out. I'm telling you, friend, it doesn't matter where, whatever part of the Bible you want to open up to. If you go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse number 12, where Jehoshaphat is and the army of Israel surrounded by the Ammonites and the Moabites and the number is way beyond what they have capability to handle. He said, neither know I what to do, but my eyes are upon thee. I'm in a state of weakness right here. I don't know what to do, but I trust that when I don't have the power and I don't have the might and I don't know I have the know-how, I trust that you, the great God, you do. Amen. And I'm telling you tonight, your weakness is the point at which God wants to show himself strong. So what's your weakness? What's your weakness? Hey, look, by the way, I remember Brother Sam saying this, that we're, we're not strong people that have weak moments. We are characteristically weak people who def desperately need God's grace to help us every single day. Life has a way of showing you just how weak you are, doesn't it? But it's in that point of weakness that God shows himself strong. It was out of her trial that God did the marvelous. The turning point of Israel's history hinged on her barrenness, on her weakness. God's able to do that. I, um, I don't know when I've struggled with what to preach more than this last week, getting ready for the, the revival. I mean, I... Angie could testify. I'm not, I'm not crying. I'm not <laughs> in any way. But I, 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 I felt like I was supposed to preach Matthew chapter 5. But I, I was, anybody else here called to preach know exactly what I'm talking about right now when you are just in turmoil. And, and quite honestly, church, I went, I went to bed Sunday night, Saturday night, still not settled on what to preach. I'll tell you what that is. Miserable. Because you wake up and you're wondering, oh no, Sunday morning's coming. And I don't have a clue. I think I'll just go back to sleep. <laughs> I wrestle with the Lord over it, you know, and I, mercy. I was weak. Mm. 
I think oftentimes what God does, knowing us like He knows us, He doesn't want us to trust ourselves. I think He brought me to a point of weakness. I, I haven't experienced something like that. I'm not trying to be weird. I'm just trying to tell you it was, it, it was, yeah, it was bad. <laughs> I was ready to get back on the plane and come back home, except I'd have to wear a mask another four hours. Mm -mm. I was at a point of weakness. But that morning, I woke up, and God made it clear, I want you right here, and I want you to trust me. And I'm, I'm telling you, God did something that week, and even, even in my own heart and life, He reminded me, it's not your strength. It's not your ability. You've got to trust me. Because we're so weak. Come on, so many of you, you didn't know how you were going to pay those bills. That's painful. That can be excruciating. And yet, how many of you students have seen God come through? Haven't you, though? You've seen God come through. Some of you are saying, I'd like to have just said amen right there. But I still need to see him come through. Well, he can come through for you. And, and some of you have seen him come through when, I mean, whether it was something with your family, something with your kids, something. I mean, and here's what you did, just like what Hannah did. You just, all you need to do is just pour your heart out to God and say, oh, God, I don't know what to do. And, and I'm telling you, friend, listen, our weakness is an opportunity for us to come to know the great and mighty power of our wonderful God. And now I, I glory in afflictions. Are you listening? Like what Paul said there, it's, it's, in, my, it's in my weakness that, that my, his strength is made perfect. It's complete. Because otherwise, if it's any ounce of my strength, then it's part of me. But if it's his, God does some wonderful things. Can I share one more account with you here from even just this most recent trip? I, I guess maybe I needed this trip more than what they needed me to be there. I don't know. But I was, uh, was really happy to have the aisle seat. Anybody else here know what I'm talking about? Yeah, in the plane. Sure. And uh, a gentleman coming down the aisle, and, and uh, he and his wife, and he said, I'm going to be right there, window side. And so I, I stood up, and, he, and then they said this. They said, uh, would anybody be willing to change seats. They were at windows like that. I'm already up. <laughs> my mouth said, sure. My heart said, what are you talking about? <laughs> so they sat together there and I sat in the middle. Who wants to be in the middle seat? No, middle no, seat. no, 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 that's right. Sitting there in the middle seat with a bad attitude trying to figure out what I'm supposed to preach. <laughs> Grading papers. It's not good to grade papers when you're mad. <laughs> Sorry, Gideon Mantonia, so. <laughs> oh, mercy. I got to tell you about this, though. I'm, I'm trying to illustrate in our weakness, God shows himself strong. 
right? I'm in the middle seat. And honestly, I knew what the Lord was doing. A man from India was sitting right here. From Hyderabad. Andhra Pradesh. And I began to pray, God, help me, number one, have a better attitude right here sitting in this middle seat. Help me in grading this. He went off to sleep and I thought, man, what do I do? Because when you're dealing, and I knew it was Hindu, I could just tell, you wonder, where do you even start? Where do you even start? I'm grading now. He wakes up. I sense he's reading what I'm grading. He's looking at the paper. I'm reading Brother Mantonia's thesis on church planning among animistic tribes. Okay. I came through the section about animism and what animism is, and I'm underlining things. But I was actually at the, conclu- the solution part of his thesis that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. I notice he's watching what I'm reading. So I don't normally underline a whole lot, but I began to underline everything <laughs> that had anything to do with the gospel. <laughs> underline it, underline it. And then somehow we got a conversation started up And he said, you know, I noticed that you were reading that Jesus Christ is the answer. (laughs) I'm telling you, in my weakness, God was showing himself strong. We had about an hour and a half conversation. And he said, you know, I went to the Hindu priest and I asked the Hindu priest, what's the purpose in life? And how can I achieve it? And he said, well, the purpose in life is that you become part of the God, the Brahma become part of the God. And, and to do that, you have to follow all the Hindu traditions. And here's what he told him, to purify your soul. And we'd already had quite a conversation prior to that. And, and I said, you know, Mani, can I tell you that Jesus Christ, who is God, came in the flesh because he loves you and he loved me. And he died on the cross for you and he was buried and he rose again on Sunday. And, and it's like light bulbs were coming off. And he said, oh, so that's why you all gather on Sunday mornings. I said, yes, every week we celebrate the fact that he rose again from the dead. And, and I said, listen, Monty, you don't have to purify your soul. But if you trust what he did for you on, on the cross of Calvary, then he will purify your soul. It's not up to you. And, in, and I'm just trying to illustrate that in my weakness, even in my bad attitude and all that was going on, in my confusion, in my weakness, God is still God and God. God has shown himself strong. He's able to do the same in your life. I'd like to tell you that he trusted Christ. I don't know, but but I gave him the track and told him, you call me and if you're ever down this way. And so we really had quite a good conversation. It was awesome. But it was a really good reminder. I don't have to know how. I just need to underline (laughs) how. And let the gospel do its work. What's your weakness tonight? What's your weakness? Are you at a point where you don't know what to do? Are you provoked? Or is there bitterness in your soul? Is there something that's just bothering you deeply? I mean deeply, and that is your weakness. It could be a personal failure because you've failed time and time again in a particular area, and that is your personal weakness. Well, that weakness, though it is self Self-induced, that weakness is an opportunity for God to show himself strong. And he will. 
You say, no, I, I always sin that way. No, you, you don't have to. You can trust his power in your life. It could be a trial that you're going through. It, it could be that you don't know what to do. You're graduating and you don't know what the next step is or, or you don't know who you're supposed to marry or you'd like to have someone to marry or, you're, or maybe you are without child. And this passage is not a promise that God's gonna give you a child, but here's what is the promise. He is faithful to be with you and in your weakness, he'll be your strength. And whatever your weakness is, and hers was barrenness, what is yours? But regardless of what the weakness is, God is the strength that you need in that weakness. And he can show himself strong in your life. Let's stand together here tonight. She praised the Lord because through her weakness, she came to know his power, his strength. He works through weakness. He works through weakness. Dear God, um, we are characteristically weak here. Some are overwhelmed by some of the decisions they've made, some by circumstances, some perhaps the loss of a spouse, some perhaps loneliness. There's some weakness in their life, dear Lord. In fact, even our own strengths can become our weakness. And God, I just thank you that in our weakness, Lord, your, your strength is made perfect. So help us tonight, dear God, I pray, as we have a time to come before you, much like Hannah did at her time, and to pour out our hearts before you, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, I come is our song, page 283. Would you join these that have come here tonight as Brother Aaron leads us?